All right. All right, well, I'll just do the intro right now. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Liam McCollum Show. I'm very happy to have Mr. Deming on again, along with his brother, John Deming. So two Mr. Demings here. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for this. I haven't done a podcast with more than one person in a while. Um, so I'm excited to see where it goes. I expect this to be a little less formal and kind of allow us to just riff off of each other. But um, why don't you introduce yourself, John, um, and tell people a little bit about yourself. And then uh, both of you can kind of maybe tell your story about how you guys got into libertarianism and um, about the Liberty Brothers. Sure. Okay. So uh, like I said, I'm John Deming. I was born in Helena and raised there. And um, now I'm teaching in Colstrip, Montana, teaching high school chemistry and physics. I'm starting my 25th year of teaching. Um, it doesn't seem like that long, but I, I enjoy every moment of it. Uh, and so I guess that's kind of brief history of me. Well, congrats. That's, that's awesome. Um, two teachers. It's, it's incredible. Um, and Mr. Demering, you were just telling me that you, you were kind of the right now, this week, you kind of started to regret retiring just because of how much news is going on. Um, I mean, it's been a crazy week and I really do want to get into that. Uh, but why don't you tell a little bit about the Liberty Brothers and when you started it and um, kind of your guys's, uh, I guess, how you became a libertarian and um, how that kind of coincided with Ron Paul and everything like that. Sure. So, uh, so actually, um, it was John who uh, he asked me if I've ever heard, if I had ever heard of anybody by the name of Ron Paul. And of course, I'd heard of him, but I didn't know very much about him. And so I think it was John that brought me uh, into thinking about libertarianism through getting introduced kind of to Ron Paul's ideas. So as so many people have, libertarianism began with Ron Paul. Uh, but like I said, John was a guy that, done, that did that for me. Uh, and then the more I looked into it, the more sense it made. Even though the very first time I heard about Ron Paul, what I had heard from a mainstream media course uh, he sounded like a crazy person. Well, he, <laughs> he's been proven right again and again and continues to be proven right about everything he's ever said. So uh, libertarianism, I think, is a common sense uh, idea. And Ron Paul really brought that out. Uh, so uh, I, I should let John talk about the Liberty Brothers because it was actually his platform. And uh, he invited me to jump on there so that we could be uh, collaborators on writing articles for uh, but a uh, newspaper back in Wisconsin of all places. And uh, that, that uh, was the genesis of the Liberty Brothers. I kind of wish we kept doing that, to be honest. But anyway, John, go ahead and tell, uh, tell Liam about those the Liberty Brothers. Well, I think, uh, Liam, you were asking how we get into libertarianism. And um, I guess for me, it started after September 11th and you know, September 11th happened and, and I was, I was actually in graduate school at the university of Montana, um, getting ready to teach classes when it happened. And so, uh, you know, I, we don't need to rehash the whole September 11th scenario. Just suffice to say that teaching a bunch of college kids, uh, freshmen in college 
they come into class that afternoon and they're like, what are we at war? What's going on? And, and it was, that time was pretty stressful and working through that, you know, then we, I see that we go into Afghanistan, um, even though the guys on the planes were from Saudi Arabia and then we're going to liberate Iraq and we see purple thumbs for democracy. And it just seemed like the, the drums of war were, were the drum beat was getting louder and louder, but it didn't seem like it was addressing the things that I saw happen on September 11th. And, and, uh, you know, the prices were going up, things were happening that I didn't really understand in economics. And so I started studying economics, just to try to figure out what I was seeing. And the more I studied it, the more I started seeing what was coming in the media didn't make any sense, you know, and what I, what we were being told. And, you know, you see the Patriot Act, you see all these things happening and it, it just didn't add up in my head. And so, you know, I, I started looking at the data and, and that's where I ended up finding, you know, this libertarian idea and then finding Ron Paul. Um, and the, his, his revolution book uh, I read and then I had a bunch of college students when I was teaching at Winona State asking me about their first election, who to vote for, are they going to vote for Obama? You know, there are, most of the kids that were asking me were liberals. And so I just told them, here, read this book and see what you think. And, and they, were, they were grabbing hold of it and running with it. And it was unbelievable how just handing, it, handing those kids a book and letting them see what it meant was, it was really enlightening to me um, and exciting uh, because I had fought through the economics, I fought all, through the, all these things, and now they, they really grabbed on and went with it. And so that's where, once I saw the need for that, that's where I got into the Liberty Brothers. And um, we had, prior to starting that website, um, some people were asking me to give some lectures in Wisconsin about economics, some public lectures. And I, I gave like one of them and then I was asking Lee, look, I, I'm going to need some help with these because some of these guys were asking for, okay, economics. And then um, the Patriot Act, I think, was another month that they asked for and some other um, issues that were going on at the time between 2008 and 2010. And so we, we kind of got together to say, all right, we've got to, there, there seems to be a need. So I was building these videos and and that's, that was kind of the genesis was it was really organic. Started it with some kids at the college level. Some people asked me to speak publicly. And then it, it kind of morphed into that, which, what you saw with that uh, site that we, we ran for a few years. Yeah, and, and Mr. Deming, you told me um, just while you were campaigning, someone approached you and said that you're Lee Deming from the Liberty Brothers. That's right. <laughs> How does that feel? <laughs> Uh, that uh, is really a shock. Uh, yeah. um, relatively high profile person uh, within the politics in Montana. And she just wanted to visit. Uh, we're standing in the lobby over in Bozeman. And uh, she says, you're one of the Liberty Brothers. And I said, well, so at least one person read those. Yeah. Uh, but she said that they're very powerful. And uh, I was gratified that she she would say that she would remember that but john when was the last one we published when was the last time we got in the that wisconsin paper uh probably 2011 
Yeah, that's so, been a while. Because that the editor of the Old Claire Journal was he was requesting us to write stuff, um, and and he published you know big articles in that journal for us. Those are pretty good, actually. I, uh, John just sent me copies of those, and I've I've read them again, and I think we were right on, even though it was quite a while ago. Are there any archives of them, or is the blog get still them. up? We can get them to you. Okay. I can get you copies if you want to post them or whatever. Yeah, I'd love to read them and maybe post a few under the video. Um, do you know anything about the analytics? I mean, it is interesting that uh, someone in, in Montana and Bozeman just happened to have, have been a reader. So do you know if it, it got quite a big reach? I, I don't. And, and I think some of that's, you know, my fault for not paying close attention, right? If you look at it back then, you say, man, that could have turned into something. But to be honest with you, I think, I think that was my, in, in my head, at least that was my um, educational philosophical journey. You know, one, a, one of the things we were doing was looking at the daily headlines and, and publishing like a, here's a, here's a link to an article from the New York times. And here's a one paragraph blurb about what's, what it could have been and what's the problem with it. And I would, I would think, at least for me, that was, that was how I was building in my head, you know, this, this, um, kind of a, a philosophy that would drive future um, choices that I make. And so I, I, we were putting it out there, but I think it was just as much for me to build my own uh, philosophy as it was to, to push it to the masses. And so I didn't really ever look at any of the, if it was happening in effect, I hope it did. Uh, but I think it, for me, it was as much internal as external. Yeah. And it, it is interesting because like, especially during the Ron Paul campaign, 2008, 2012, I feel like you really start to see the ground up movement um, that became the Ron Paul revolution and how present they were on, on the internet. I mean, in, in these blogs, like the fact that Ron Paul had one fundraiser and was able to meet his record and, and pass it just in one night. And then like how, how people um, were able to pull a fund together to buy a blimp that, that said Ron Paul, like, yeah. like it was really a decentralized ground up movement. Yeah. Well, and to be honest with you, I think that's the exciting thing for me about today. I mean, there's a lot of craziness and there's a lot of things that people get down on, but I watched that firsthand with 18 to 22 year old kids and the, what you said about it being organic was unbelievable and and people aren't different right 18 to 25 year old kids aren't different than they were in 2008 2010 and and they just needed to see it you know they just needed to see it and hear it and and they they bought in and so i i think i think it's it's exciting right now Sure is. That's why I regret, uh, sort of, uh, retiring. Yeah, well, like I said before, uh, Liam, can you imagine walking in a classroom this August? I mean, weeks? it's 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 prime right now. I, I think yeah. that all the questions would be super fascinating. Um, I mean, I think well, it was it was a good time in 2018 too. But right now, I think it 
all of these philosophical questions are really starting to um, bubble up. They're, they're actually, um, we're, we're starting to see the like philosophical divide in the country a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like we talked before, unit one of that book uh, pretty much lays it out. You know, you said, you talked about unit four and the uh, uh, presidency, the executive branch and all that kind of stuff. Uh, all of that would be obviously uh, interesting, but the philosophy behind why you set your governments up the way you do, you know, that you have, and we're, we'll probably talk about this, but mm-hmm. you have the executive branch completely out of control, in my opinion. And you have the state governments uh, kind of pushing back, but not pushing back nearly as hard as they need to. You know, and, and so you could, those kids can see what's happening because we're not taking care of business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to make one more comment about the, the kind of movement um, before we get into that, because I totally agree. Um, and, and we'll get I think we want to get into the IRS and the FBI and how the executive is too, too powerful. Um, but just being a, a part of the liberty movement right now, I, I just finished up in Orlando um, with Young Americans for Liberty, which was students for Ron Paul. Um, and then I was at the Mises Institute the week before at Mises University. And I got to meet a lot of these people that I've considered heroes for a long time. Um, but also, I, I think the most important part about it was seeing people from all sides, like people who were left-leaning and people who were right-leaning, who came together on the idea of libertarianism and started to follow Ron Paul. Um, And I think, John, you had mentioned something like that last time we talked, how um, that was one of the most exciting things about it is how, um, especially with Occupy Wall Street, there, there was a movement that I think Ron Paul kind of was able to attract um, that brought people from kind of the populist left. And now where are they? They, they're, they're kind of lost. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And I think, you know, if, if we, if we don't run candidates that can make the point and can, do they have to be inspired? I don't know. I, people are pretty smart. You know, I, it doesn't have to be the best speaker. They just have to carry the right message. And I, I think if they, if people are just given a chance to listen, then they can make up their own mind. They're smart enough. And I think that's the exciting thing is people from the left, people from the right, they hear the message and, and the truth, and then they can, they, they can grab on. And once, once people grab on, you know, they're, you know, liberty is a pretty exciting thing. Every generation has got to fight for it. Um, but once you have it and you realize you have it, you're going to cling on to it. And, and that brings a lot of interesting groups of people together. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we should get into the news because, I mean, things are going crazy. And I'm sure things are breaking right now as um, we're talking. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing that we should probably talk about is this thing going on with Trump. Um, I don't even really know where to start with it. Um, but what is your guys' ass- assessment of what's going on right now? Um, for people don't know, who don't know, I'm sure everyone knows. Uh, Trump's house was raided the other day by the FBI. Um, and there are a lot of takes, even within the liberty sphere. Uh, Judge Napolitano um, seems to think that he's actually, mu- he must be guilty of something because there was a subpoena. Um, 
But others, I think like Dave Smith are saying, well, <laughs> how can I even trust what the FBI is saying? Um, uh, something else he said is the whole quote, if they can do this to a president, they can do this to anyone, any one of us line of thinking. He's saying that that's completely back, backwards because they've been doing it to people for years. So now they think that they can do it to a president. Um, so I'm interested to see what you think about that. Do you think that they might have something on Trump? There's, we're almost speaking too prematurely, um, but knowing how they've handled Trump and um, Trump derangement syndrome over the last four years, five years, I, I tend to think something weird is going on. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's something weird going on. I, uh, so anybody that trusts the FBI, uh, they've had their head in the sand for a long time. You know, uh, the FBI was instrumental in uh, in attempting to take down Martin Luther King Jr. You guys probably know that historically. Uh, and uh, so that guy probably wasn't a saint either, but my goodness, Martin Luther King Jr. So from that point forward, can you trust a, a single thing they say or do? And I think the answer is absolutely not. They are a national police force under the direction of a political leader, a president, who then selects the uh, head of the department. And uh, so is there any question that they've been used for political purposes? The answer is no, there's no question. And this is no different what they've done to Trump. And I don't care if he has uh, nuclear codes in his safe. I don't, I don't care. The, the very fact, and, and of course, we're going to have to look, you know, make sure that this didn't actually happen. Uh, the FBI uh, probably should have said, look, get your lawyer. We're going to come down and we got a warrant. We're going to take a look at the safe. We've got here are the things we were looking for. The fact that they sealed the warrant and they would they refuse to allow Trump's uh, lawyers to be present. Uh, and I, I hear, and I don't know if this is true, that they they search Melania's Melania's clothes. Now that's that's a special kind of sick, but it's a special kind of intimidation as well. And so I, I absolutely think this dirty from the word go. I think I think uh, the FBI director and the head of the Department of Justice are criminals. Um, and I don't care what he's got to say. That is not the way to do it. And particularly now, it's like in your face. All right, we're going to do this to the president. I know you like him, but we're going to do it. And we don't care. We don't care what it looks like. That's essentially what uh, uh, Merrick Garland said. So, in fact, uh, I, I probably shouldn't talk about it anymore because I, I'm getting kind of ticked off again. So, <laughs> yeah, well, what, what are you thinking, John? Well, I, I think. Like Lee said, I don't really care what's in there. I mean, if there's something illegal and and something ha happens eventually, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about stuff. And I think the the um, brazenness of the FBI now is really kind of important to consider. It's it's going to have a chilling effect on normal dissent, but also you know maybe more um, vocal dissent for sure, you know, because you start looking at it and you start thinking, wait a minute, if they're, if they're going to do this, you know, 
in to the former president, you know, who am I? What could they do to me? And and to be honest with you, um, I I think what I was most worried about is if I was Trump, I'd be worried that they're going to plant something. You know, I I would be I would be very worried if I don't get to have somebody on the ground there that I trust that can that can watch the process, then any then they could literally say anything they want. And yeah. and if if you're running the FBI, you I would think you want every um, I dotted and T crossed and have no one be able to say there was anything nefarious. And yet that's not that's not what happened. It's the opposite of that. And so it's it 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 just feels dirty. And and I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it they went about it the wrong way. And it, and um, you know you, you don't have to look very far to see where the FBI is is even recently is is um, totally on the wrong side of things. You know there the New York Times is in a lawsuit with what what Project Veritas or whatever. Um, actively defamation lawsuit and project veritas is going to get raided by the fbi and three minutes after the raid starts new york times calls their attorney and says hey you're getting raided by the fbi you're getting raided by the fbi right now well how did they know right and so it's they that had to be leaked from the fbi to an organization that is in a current lawsuit with that with project veritas it doesn't the whole thing seems questionable. And so their actions, man, even, even if there, there are illegalities, you know, questionable actions, the way they're going about it is, is totally wrong headed in my opinion. Yeah. I, I was saying something along the lines of like, even if he did commit a crime, even if there are documents in the safe, um, we, we can acknowledge that and say that maybe he he's even guilty. I'm like, I'm not a Trump fan at all um, on foreign policy, on um, many different issues, guns, name it. But we can also acknowledge that the FBI and everything else going on, the investigation is political and that the FBI has always been a political weapon. Um, so I think that that's the worst part about this is, is um, I think some libertarians would say, well, okay, maybe, certain politicians should be locked up, but like, we know that these bodies aren't going to apply these things equally. It's not like the Clintons are going to be in jail. It's not like the Bushes are going to be in jail. It's not like the Epstein's are going to be in jail and the people on, on the list. Um, so I, th I think that's the, the worst part about this is it, it's not, we're not even saying that he's, he's, you know, um, not guilty. It's that we can recognize that the FBI is what it is. And um, I, I found this video of Ron Paul um, in the 1988 Libertarian race when he ran in the Libertarian Party. And I don't know who was interviewing him, but um, they asked him if, if he supports the FBI. And I think the full question involved the FBI, CIA, and IRS. So the whole clip's even better. But he addresses the FBI. It's like they've been, they've been a political weapon since Woodrow Wilson when he was imprisoning um, people who opposed the war. Right. And I mean, Vietnam, both Republicans and Democrats used it. And um, I mean, he's spot on about it. And the libertarians have been spot on since the 80s. Uh, you know, most of our history, we didn't didn't have those institutions. The FBI came in uh, during the First World War and 
interestingly enough, one thing that Woodrow Wilson did, he used the FBI to spy on American citizens and actually arrest them if they disagreed with his foreign policy about going to war in Europe. And isn't it interesting how recent they used it in the Vietnam era? Democrats used it there. Republicans used the FBI to spy on a hundred different groups in this country, including the churches, who disagree with the policy in uh, Central America. It almost looks like the FBI was designed to spy on Americans who might be disagreeing uh, with policy, especially the foreign policy. So the FBI, although I don't think I could condemn everything they've ever done, because I'm sure uh, some of the investigations and investigation of crime uh, has been beneficial, but that could be accomplished through Justice Department within our states. We wouldn't reject that uh, portion of it. But I think the, the FBI has uh, kept and continues to keep a lot of records on a lot of individuals. And uh, I think it is a little ironic um, now that we have Republicans who have been supporting and funding the FBI for years are now saying we need to defund it. So that's an interesting narrative um, that's coming out. And I hope we can kind of latch onto that and encourage them in that direction. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, you go back to uh, how uh, I believe it was the FBI, maybe just the entire Department of Justice, uh, but uh, they were going to sick the FBI on uh, parents at school board meetings as being uh, domestic terrorists. Now, I didn't make that up. It sounds like it's made up. It should be made up. It, it should be a wild, loony conspiracy theory, but it's not. It happened in, in America. Parents at school board meetings are domestic terrorists. So that's the, to me, that's the, the extent of the credibility of the FBI. No, and how about, don't get me started, sorry. How about the uh, also uh, calling into question the patriotism or the ability to become domestic terrorists of those who fly the wrong flag, like the Betsy Ross flag? Or the uh, one that I have out here that I fly occasionally is the, the um, Gadsden flag. Yeah, so that makes me a domestic terrorist. Well, apparently, according to my government, thinks that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard from uh, Michael Heiss while I was down in um, Florida. He's he's the organizer of the Mises Caucus, and apparently, in two thousand eight, there was something similar where the FBI released some papers saying that Ron Paul supporters are are people they should watch out for. Um, and anarcho capitalists made it on the list this time. I think I, I saw yeah. them on there. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I mean, if you look at the Governor Whitmer thing too, uh, wasn't every single person involved in that supposed assassination attempt, like every single one was an FBI agent undercover, yeah. except one, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's one or two. I can't remember. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's very many actual perpetrators and mostly it was FBI agents. Yeah. Yeah. They got no credibility. I think that's like going back to that, whatever it was, 2008, when they were, um, I think the danger of, of an organization like the FBI is that the, it's a moving target on, on who, is, who is the terrorist, who is, who's chosen to, by, the, um, by the government to be rewarded and who's going to be targeted and punished, right? And so that's, that's a moving target, maybe, depending on who's in charge. And so I think everybody should be worried. But when you look back at that um, 2008, you know, those the fusion centers that came up out of the Patriot Act and subsequent um, laws being passed, 
you know, the, the fusion center, I, I believe it was in Missouri was where that information came out, where um, supporters of Ron Paul um, were going to be considered right-wing extremists and potential terrorists. Well, that, that was a huge group of people, right? And, and once that came out in Missouri, then people start that, you know, that, that, like I said, a chilling effect, what does that do? You know, and, and how does that change people's behavior? Um, they didn't have to be prosecuted for anything, but maybe they pull back their funding for their, for their political candidate. Maybe they don't go to as many meetings, you know? And so those actions, even when you're not being rated, can dramatically alter people. So I can't wait to. Sorry. I'm sorry, John. You. Oh, go ahead. I uh, I cut you off. I just couldn't resist. So uh, one of the people, one of the groups on that list of uh, potential domestic terrorists, right wing extremists, was the Knights of Columbus. Well, that's a that's a uh, uh, men's fraternal organization, service organization among uh, Catholics. And uh, I, somebody in the paper actually responded to that by saying, you mean the pancake breakfast guys? Those are the domestic terrorists? So there again, uh, just an example, I got zero credibility as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and <laughs> that there's any question that this isn't political, I mean, um, just the fact that Merrick Garland's the one out there saying that he, he signed off on this, did you did you guys watch his the video that he gave yesterday the the little talk that he gave? Okay, yeah. What do, what do you make of that? Um, if you want to rehash what he said, uh, Mr. Deming, uh, well, Lee Deming, um, yeah. I, if if you just want to update people as to what Merrick claimed, it was very short, and and what your takeaways were from that. Yeah. So he said essentially he said yeah I ordered it. It didn't come from you know the local office. I I actually uh, authorized the uh the search and then um there was I, I can't remember if it was him or ray but uh they were talking about how anyone who questioned you know the loyalty and patriotism and professionalism of the fbi you know horrible people well i i do every day so i guess i'm a horrible person but uh you know it, uh, you got to clean up your act if if you're going to have any credibility and i've told you three or four times now, he got zero. So essentially, he, to me, my takeaway was that that was in your face. He said, um, we had the right to do it. We did it. And that's the way it goes. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you, go ahead. Do you foresee that they're actually going to let us know what the documents are? Or are we just going to have to depend on them saying, yeah, these are very secret documents that, I mean, the, the whole crime is based on the fact that we can't even know what they are. And that's part of the reason why it's, it's a crime for him to take them. But I mean, can we even trust what they say then if, if they're not, I mean, we can't know what they are. No, you can't trust it. Uh, I just got an alert on my phone while we we're talking that mm -hmm. they unsealed the search warrant. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. So we'd have to see what they had in the search warrant what they're looking for in Melania's clothes. We so, could do this live. <laughs> I could pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun to, to get the first reactions. So uh, I, I can't wait to see what that is and uh, what their excuse was. Uh, but yeah, we can't trust anything. I, I just don't, particularly since, as John said, uh, they could have planted anything they wanted in there because I don't think that where was it, there was a Trump representative 
there at all during the, the search. So, yeah, I don't, I don't trust it. I don't care if they, I, I don't care what they find. Yeah. You know, if he stole the Declaration of Independence and hid it in there, uh, I wouldn't believe it for a second. Now, is Trump, is it possible for President Trump to have uh, committed some wrongdoing? Yeah, I never said, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan either. However, uh, I think we have to be very careful uh, if we're going after a politician of this uh, renown, I mean, he's really popular. And I don't think this raid hurt his popularity at all. It's almost like the FBI wanted him to uh, to get a big boost in the ratings because that happened. Yeah, even Andrew Cuomo said the same thing. Uh, he came out and said they better have a reason behind this or else you just, I mean, you won the election for Trump. And I do think that's like, I mean, like the fact that I'm, I mean, I am with the Libertarian Party and I'm going to back the Libertarian Party into 2024. Like, I will do that, I think, regardless of what happens. But the fact that they're putting me in a position to now have to defend Trump, who I do not support, (laughs) they're very successful. They're very skilled and successful at getting people who don't like Trump to defend Trump. I mean, think about all of like the, the leftist journalists, like uh matt taibbi i think he's been defending trump or glenn greenwald yeah like glenn i mean years ago was pretty close to a socialist and now people consider him right wing and it's because they are so terrible on russia russia gate um trump i it it does feel like they want him to be elected they love him that much Uh, so yeah um I better not respond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have the the warrant. So, John, if you have um, anything else that you're thinking, you can you can go now while I read the warrant, and then I can try to sum it up or read the parts that are important. Yeah, I think I think there. What I find interesting, I guess, about um, their approach is that we they do drive people who may not be Trump supporters in the into the arena of. Uh, defending him like you said but i i think it's fascinating because you know not too many years ago the republican party was really really trying to enhance the fbi and use it you know in the patriot act we got fisa courts we've got all this craziness going on and increase their power um domestically and okay well be careful what you wish for you know and now you're seeing a brazen FBI go after the the figurehead of the Republican Party for sure right now, and and I think some there's going to be quite a few Republicans are going to start saying, "Hey, we need to tap the brakes on this," which you know libertarians were saying before the Patriot Act was signed, <laughs> but you know the Republican Party was was going for it, and I and I hope that this pushes them in the direction of okay, we need to really rethink this political arm of the, of the, um, of the Department of Justice and say, man, we, we need to rein this thing in. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I, I have the warrant. Um, so what it says is it is, so the property to be seized is all physical documents and records constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation of 18 us code 793 so that is um gathering transmitting or losing documents 
oh, losing defense information. And then 18 U.S. Code 2071, which is concealment, removal, or mutilation generally. And then U.S. Code 1519, which is destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations and bankruptcy. Um, They're saying... This includes any physical documents with classification markings along with any containers, boxes, including any other contents in which such documents are located, as well as any other containers, boxes that are collectively stored or found together with the aforementioned documents and containers, boxes. Information, including communications in any form regarding the retrieval, storage, or transmission of national defense information or classified material. And then any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th, 2021, or any evidence of the knowing alteration, destruction, or concealment of any government and or presidential records or of any documents with classification markings. Um, And then there's a receipt of property and it says that they have, um, I don't know if this is the amount of documents, but it says four dash documents. Um, 29 dash box labeled a 14 and then box labeled a 26 box labeled a 43. And then there's two more. Um, and then there's a long list of other things. Uh, description of items include executive grant of clemency, uh, with Roger stone. Uh, so that's one of the documents, um, Info regarding president of France, leather bound box of documents, various classified TSC or SCI documents, potential presidential record, binders of photos, handwritten note, and then a bunch of boxes and miscellaneous secret documents. Um, And that looks to be all. Yeah, I don't know half what that means. Uh, what all that stuff is. Um, my understanding was that that when they left the White House, uh, the Trumps had the General Service Administration box up a bunch of the documents that they had and sent that to the Trumps. And I don't know if that's true or um, I can't even remember where I heard that, but if that's true, then the FBI is getting after President Trump for stuff that the government sent him uh, at to Mar-a-Lago, is that? Sound yeah, right? yeah, I, it sounds right. Well, and and the most interesting angle about this, I think, is you know a lot of people are comparing this to Trump's accusation against against Hillary, but the the main distinction here is that Hillary had it on a digital server, and she was the Secretary of State, and it had been alerted to officials that the Russians had already potentially access these documents because they were on on the server um big difference with trump is that he was the president and he can declassify any document that he wants so i don't know if he has to technically declassify something like if he actually has to go through the official process or if this is enough for him to effectively have uh declassified um the uh, the other interesting thing that i'm seeing is apparently the department of justice is investigating whether donald trump violated the espionage espionage act um which would that be an accusation of treason i mean which i I know the death penalty is is the punishment too 
Yeah. So that, I mean, this is huge stuff. And that is a punishment. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's sig- like, it is ballsy. I don't know any other word, but it is very ballsy to be doing this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, people are saying this is a, it, it's like banana Republic type stuff. Um, we invade countries and we um, do regime changes in countries that imprison their political opponents. Yeah. And we are now flirting with it. Uh, the, the big thing I think is how, how, so if you, if you don't view this as um, political, like Merrick Garland, part of the reason that he's not on the Supreme court is because of Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, Merrick Garland was appointed by president Biden, who will be an opponent to Trump in 2024. Likely, maybe we don't know if Biden will make it, but either way, this is political. It absolutely is. But Merrick Garland was appointed by Trump's opponent. So I don't know how he doesn't recuse himself. I don't know. This all just seems way too political. And um, it, it seems like theater too, but I don't know what they think they're going to get out of it because to me, it looks like people are out defending him. Other people are saying that maybe um, if he gets indicted, and convicted, he won't be able to run for president. But um, more conservative types are saying, well, the constitution and the qualifications for president overrule any legislation. So I, I don't know what the angle is here. And that's why I am interested in the angle. Um, if, if we just put aside the argument that the, F, the FBI is a political weapon, if we put aside that argument and grant that and say, well, maybe on a technical matter, Trump actually did do something here. Um, and if that is the case, uh, Judge Napolitano is making the argument, and, and they were friends, that Trump might actually be indicted and they might his political career might be done because someone signed off on the subpoena and there had to have been two judges that, that agreed to that. And apparently they were cooperating. Trump was cooperating with FBI. But... I, yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> is there, you guys might know more than me, because this is totally a question I don't have an answer to, but um, who's, who's, which judges were the judges that would sign off on that? Are those FISA judges that we never hear about, or are those judges in, a, in an actual courtroom that we get to see the light of day? Yeah, those are uh, the only judge I know of that I, I didn't realize it had to be two. Um, that's the first I've heard of. The only judge I know of um, somehow tied up in the in the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull that up right now. Okay. Um, Napolitano said that it has to be two judges to sign off. And I think it's specifically on the subpoena that they have to sign off on. But, um, and and this this attorney that is, uh, linked to Epstein, he's linked to that specific case that got Epstein off for, I mean, he only had to serve for a few months. Well, he had to serve for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, cause I think they had originally tried um, convicting Epstein years ago and this specific attorney got him off. Oh, and that's, okay. yeah. That. Yeah. Cause there were, there were two cases. Um, one that happened years ago when he should have been locked up. And the most recent where he was found dead. 
Um, yeah, let me. Well, uh, let me clarify something while we got a minute. We talked about uh, Napolitano. I'm, I'm actually uh, terribly disappointed in the judge. He, uh, I think, I think he kind of expected or wanted to be uh, named to the Supreme Court by Trump, and I think it, it ticked him off. So he's actually hasn't been the best friend of President Trump uh, ever since, and. Uh, I think this might be some of that leaking into his commentary. I don't know, but it just seems it, this to me seems so blatant. I'm not on the level uh, legally, obviously, as any of those judges, including Judge Knapp, but I, I got to, I got to say that this stinks to high heaven. And uh, I, I can't believe that Judge Napolitano would, would give credence to uh, judges within a system that has been known to be corrupt for a long time for decades and decades yeah but you guys know about exit exigent letters you know about those you ever heard of those a little bit we talked about them a while back yeah so uh fbi agents um and other uh, federal officials are given the opportunity to um write exigent letters <clears throat> which means that they can write their own search warrants and then go search stuff. So there's no judge involved. That's an exigent letter. Well, how do we trust that? That's why I was surprised it took two judges. Uh, under exigent circumstances, you don't need any judge. So th th that system is completely corrupt. And it was corrupted in uh, a, a way to... Um, facilitate searches with regard to terrorists. Well, yeah. How long did that last before that turned completely corrupt? Yeah. So I think it, I think it was two judges um, that signed off on the subpoena that Trump was actually cooperating with. Um, so they oh. subpoenaed certain documents and, and this had been like a month long process. Um, and apparently they were actually cooperating um, and then there was only one job that had, or one judge that had to sign off on, on this search warrant. His name is Bruce Reinhardt, who once quit his job as a U.S. attorney to work for Jeffrey Epstein, the multimillionaire accused sex trafficker who was being targeted in a probe by the U.S. attorney's office, as reported in the Miami Herald on November 28th, 2018. Um, yeah, so he's the guy. That's the guy. <laughs> and he, I think he also def, uh, defended a lot of the people, um, a lot of the others accused with Epstein. But I'm trying to find more information on him because I think it's the specific case that got Epstein off. I do think that this is just a, an attempt to discredit Trump. Uh, there's a a uh, columnist, a reporter, journalist, uh, what's her name, who came out, uh, has come out a couple times and said that the uh, Biden administration is dedicated to arresting Trump. Now, did you hear what the, was it the president of Honduras said the other day? He said, you know, if that happened in my country, if we were arresting or searching political opponents, what would you say about that? 
uh, Emerald Robinson. Have you ever uh, read Emerald Robinson? I haven't, no. She's worth reading. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to take her name down. Yeah, I can't find anything about the the um, the judge. But I mean, all of this, I think that we we all agree this is political. And on the Napolitano thing, um, I, I don't know if he agrees with the subpoena or the, the warrant. I think he's just saying like, he's looking at it and he's saying if a subpoena happened and there was a violation of the subpoena and a search warrant, it's more like what, what I took from him and there might be more to it that he was descriptively saying that um, whether he re- supports it or not, it looks like they might actually try to put something on Trump um, and, and he might be indicted. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've heard similar things and I've heard multiple stories about Napolitano accepting or saying refusing the nomination. And I've also heard stories that uh, he was upset that he didn't get picked. So I don't, I don't know where he's at with it, but um, well, I think we've kind of exhausted that a little bit. I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, The other thing that I think is pressing news, I mean, this would have been the top story of the week until the FBI raid was that uh, the IRS through this legislation is going to have 87,000 new IRS agents um, and officials. Uh, So yeah, what do you guys make of that? And what are, what are your thoughts? Well, you want to start? <laughs> I think my thoughts are, you know, big businesses, big, big corporations, and and people with a lot of money are going to have the the money, the resources to hire the the right tax accountants, stuff like that, and they're gonna they're probably going to be okay. Um, but eighty seven thousand more agents, you know, who who are the people who are the people that are going to run into problems, you know. Uh, self owner, a business owner that's doing their own taxes, individuals, you know, that are going to make mistakes on their forms using TurboTax or something. And that those 87,000 more agents are going to be able to get to find them. Whereas, you know, I I also think um, it stifles competition, right? So if you're a startup in your garage, and you're messing with um, TurboTax trying to do your stuff on your own, because you're on a shoestring budget, it's harder for you to get into the economy and compete with somebody that's been there. It's, they have the money and the resources to deal with their own accountants. And so it, it, it has strange fingers in the economy that I think most people don't, don't talk about. Do you know how they're, they're labeling um, this? Like what, what, what did they say was the reasoning behind it? Is it that they're, um, did they say that they're going after the rich? I mean, I know it's probably like the, all the, the talking points about um, the rich aren't paying enough or something like that. Did they label it as this or was it kind of hidden in this legislation? Um, do any of you know about that? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the big takeaway is like, even right now, the IRS does target uh, lower income people more. Most of the audits target people who aren't in the 1%. Um, and I think I'm curious to see what what states might be um, able to do about this to see if they can nullify it. Um, We've talked about nullification in the past and um, and back to the FBI thing. I I know that there was a representative out of Florida who who's talking about not allowing the state to cooperate with the FBI. And I 
I, I know that Montana has done something along those lines with the ATF um, with anti-commandeering and, and that's based in uh, U.S. Um, precedent, Supreme Court precedent with uh, Prince v. U.S., which upheld a Montana sheriff nullifying the Brady Bill. Um, so we, we passed that legislation last session that, that nullified um, the ATF and any future federal gun control. But I wonder if there's a way for us to do something similar with the FBI and um, say that maybe no local official or any state official can assist in the enforcement of any investigation or um, hope, hopefully it could even happen with the IRS too. The state can nullify the IRS in some capacity. Yeah, so uh, I would prefer that uh, the state officials don't uh, cooperate with any federal officials, but that's, that's not gonna happen. For one thing, just think of like the US Forest Service. Uh, are we going to have our sheriff, law enforcement people, uh, fish and wildlife or uh, fish and game, fish, wildlife and parks guys, not, not collaborate or cooperate? Uh, I frankly, personally would rather they didn't, but I don't think that's realistic. Um, and I'm not sure how much involvement the state government does in uh, IRS activities. But I would certainly think that it would be worthwhile, particularly in this environment, to uh, pass a law similar to the, the gun law uh, prohibition that was passed in the last session. Yeah, I have this, this graphic here. Um, I'm going to try to pull it up really quick, see if I can share my screen. Can you see that? I can. Yeah, so the percent of population living in poverty um, in 2018. So, I mean, you can see here the percent living in, in poverty and then where the IRS audits the most. <laughs> well, that's, how about that? Yeah. And I'll share a link to that for the listeners. For is that, you know, you, you don't, you end up with, uh, the, the people that, that don't have the resources are, are going to make the most mistakes. And, I, and I, I'm not saying intentionally, I'm simply saying that you're gonna make more mistakes um, when you're doing it yourself at capacity. And you know, the, with 87,000 more agents, they're gonna have more time to find that. Yeah, and how about the, um, they just pulled down the, the job description for the IRS agents, I think yesterday. Which included things like they will they will be required to carry a gun and uh, will need to use force if necessary. So these aren't. I mean, it goes to the whole thing about like how the Department of Education has a SWAT team. Like, why are why are these agencies um, required to use deadly force if if all that is happening is uh, this is a very kind of bureaucratic managerial agency that is that is supposed to just audit people and look at these very technical balance sheet things. What about this requires them to hold a gun? So I hope we don't find the answer to that. Yeah. But yeah, do you, do you guys have any more thoughts on any of that or are there any other issues that um, came up over the last two weeks? Uh, there, there's a lot going on and I can't keep it all in my head. 
Well, I can't either. Uh, I, <laughs> um, the 87,000 agents, it was, is actually kind of horrifying. Uh, the whole idea that we need 87,000 more agents, um, Number one, if they're going to, so if the, uh, if the uh, excuse is that we're going to get more tax collection because uh, we, we have all these agents, more agents out there to do the work uh, and that the IRS right now is overtaxed, I mean, overworked uh, and everything. Nice pun. If that's, yeah, if that's the excuse, um, how much do those 87,000 agents cost? You know, so are we getting a significant tax uh, income that's going to offset the cost of the 87,000 agents, not to mention the guns are going to have and the 5 million rounds of ammunition. You know, you can't convince me that that's a, that's a good trade-off. There's something else going on there. And, you know, that uh, conspiracy theories tend to come true <laughs> for a short period of time. I don't know what's going on. I really don't. But I'm, uh, I'm frankly very very uh, concerned that that they're going to be up to no good let's just put it that way yeah well when you consider that all of the spending that actually hired these irs agents all of the spending and um i forget what the bill was called was this a part of the inflation reduction act that orwellian bill i can't remember okay yeah i don't know which bill it was but um all of this spending is inflation spending anyway. All of this is deficit spending anyway. So the fact that these IRS agents will likely be hired on through deficit spending, and I mean, the government doesn't take in enough tax revenue to actually afford anything that they continue to spend. The, the kind of perverse and ironic thing about this is that these IRS agents won't even be collecting the taxes that will uh, go to pay their salaries. They're, they're going around, they're going to be using force against business owners and we're not even taking in enough taxes to pay for what they do and what whatever else was in the bill. So, I mean, that's another element to this is like, as we've seen over the last four years, like why do they even tax us anymore if they're just going to continue to print money? Right. right? Cause then they get two taxes that way, right? They get the tax that they're, they're levying and they get the inflation tax. So they take your money twice, but they only have to tell you they're taking it once. And so, you know, that's nice on their, on their side. Yeah. And I, I think it's also, it, it might be like the modern monetary theory where, where they think that they, the reason the dollar has value in the first place is because it's how they collect taxes. Um, I mean, if, if you need to pay taxes in the dollar, that's where the value comes from, according to these modern monetary theorists. So maybe it's some weird uh, backwards explanation like that too. Well, I, I'm nervous about it because if you let's just say that you look at, uh, distribute those guys equally, that's over 1,700 agents per state. In addition to all the agents they have, that's an extra 1,740 uh, agents per state that they're going to put in, right? So that's that's a huge number in their workforce that that are going to be be looking for, you know, did, did you, did you account for this loss? Did you account for this profit? It can't be good. Yeah. No. I have a, I have another graphic that I want to pull up really quick. 
um, to just demonstrate how scary this is. If it was not scary enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So this is an 87,000 person stadium. That's how many agents were just hired with the expectation that they will carry a gun and be required to use force if they need it. So (laughs) you think about it, they couldn't, that's more than would be held in, in the uh, Washington Grizzly stadium three times. Yeah. You fill it up kick them out, bring the next group in, kick them out, fill it up, kick them out. Oh, you still have, um, you still have like 13,000 uh, agents standing outside. That's a huge, that's a huge number of people to come in. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very interested to see what comes of all of this and I'm sure we'll, we'll have to talk about it again in the future, but is there anything else that any other topic that, you guys are focusing on right now or that you guys want to bring up? Um, Cause I think we, we touched on all that there really is about the FBI that we know right now. Um, and then, I mean, I'm sure everything else going on with the inflation, uh, the inflation bill, the inflation reduction act. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So we're going to spend how much money to reduce inflation? <laughs> fight inflation with inflation and then uh, some of that money is uh allocated for green energy policies and of course that doesn't contribute to inflation either yeah well uh, this is this well, is I, where I, go ahead just this is where the whole question to me like do they are, are they actually do they think that their social engineering works like are they just this engineerial kind of like they are very technical people and they think all of this works or are they evil? Like, are they malicious and do they have malicious intent or do they genuinely just think that they're doing the best? I, I mean, I, I go back and forth on, on this question, but when you see that every single po- one of their policies leads towards um, mass hunger and supply chain um, destruction, uh, especially when it comes to the third world, like it, it makes you wonder. I, I tend to hope that people are altruistic. Um, and, and I think in, in many cases that's true, but I like to look at it that way, even if they're not. But I think that's in some ways the worst motivation for someone because then it doesn't matter what the data say. They, they already have convinced themselves that they've taken the so-called high road. And so then they don't need to look at data and see if their policy matches with the outcomes because they've already decided that their policy is the high road. And, and that's a really dangerous path. And I, I deal with that teaching science, with going through COVID with the students was an unbelievable experience because the kids are like, well, we've got to wear masks. We got to sit six feet apart. We got to do these things. Does it work? Right. And we'd start showing them data and the kids are like, wait a minute. It doesn't, it does, the data don't match with the policies. And, and so I think when people, when people convince themselves that they're doing something on, on someone else's behalf, whether or not it's true, if they convince themselves of that, that's a really dangerous person to deal with when, they're, when their policies are wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, what did AOC say? Uh, oh my gosh, it was, it's been what, about a year ago. Or so she said it's more important to be. Uh, it more, it's more important to be right in the heart rather than factually correct. I can't. I can't remember exactly what she said. It was so ridiculous. I couldn't keep my brain. Uh, but it was something like that. So I think they generally, some of them generally believe that they're doing the right thing. Um, and, and I think that's the move that's uh, been put out to discredit our history too. You know, the, the founders are not universally loved anymore. That's our history has been, you know, been tossed out. In fact, it's been discredited and we don't even want to think about it. You know, this quote unquote, our country's based on racism. So, so this country that it's the most powerful country in the world didn't get that way by accident. You know, and if you want to look at it, you can say, well, it, it happened uh, in spite of being quote unquote based on, on slavery. But if, if you have a vision for your country that's X and that vision and the way to get to that uh, requires you to forget all of history that got us to this point to the ability to be this powerful and this, this wealthy, uh, you know, so you, you never look back on how you got there. So you can completely discredit that to move toward your, your ultimate utopia, uh, which by the way, I don't think it's going to be very nice. So right. anyway, well, Lee, I, I think, um, and Liam, I think that there's a, a book, uh, by William Bradford, the governor of um, the Jamestown Colony or whatever, and he he was talking about it, it, it's it's his his description of what was occurring um, in the colony at the time, and and initially, you know, before the, uh, the our what we call Thanksgiving, you know they if you read the book and it's hard to read because it's in the old English style, but when you read what he was describing that first year, they, they were socialist. They were completely socialist and they, and set up each according to his need by each according to his, you know, force or, or will. And they almost, they almost died of starvation. And, and First Thanksgiving was a, was a mess. You know, it was like kind of a last hurrah. So, because we don't know who's going to live through the winter, they do it again the next year, socialist. And again, a bunch of people die off. And finally, they make a decision look, this isn't working. And they gave each person like 20 acres, each family, and some seeds to plant and said, look, okay, you're going to be responsible for your own efforts here on this 20 acres. And if you don't, you know, if you don't do enough, you're going to perish. And they flourished and they were able to export corn um, to Europe that year. And, and that was where they had a, a Thanksgiving to remember, not one of uh, nervousness to be, of their livelihood. Well, you, you look back at, if you read what he said over the, their history of those three years, you see a dramatic change, right? And we don't learn about it at all. We, we get this fairy tale of Thanksgiving, um, but, but it's completely unrealistic. And I think that the real danger of not looking back at the history is then 
then people's understanding is whatever's said currently. And whoever speaks the loudest gets, gets the attention. And, and the only way to deal with that is to look back, like, like Lee, like you said, look back and see, you know, what were, what was happening? What's the data? The cool part scientifically is you can look back and say, okay, I think this is true. If it's true and we look at this experiment, then what, what do we predict the future will be, right? That's what we want to do. If it's true and we do this experiment, what, what do we predict will happen in the future? And then see if our predictions match what happened. And in, in a history class, we can do that. We say, oh, look at what happened in the 30s. What do we predict happened? Okay, did we see it? And, and we changed policy that way. But we don't, we don't often do that anymore because everybody's in here and now. They don't back five minutes, five days, five years, 500 years and see what's worked. Yeah, is, is that of Plymouth Plantation? Is that the book? Yeah. Okay. History of Plantation. It's very difficult to read because it's the flowery prose, um, but he, he specifically describes women not wanting to work, able-bodied men not working, they didn't want to help their neighbor, and then the net, and then the third year he talks about the women being willing to go in the fields and work for their family, the guys were all working hard and then they started to thrive. And from that point forward, they had a new vision for how to be successful. Yeah. I think it goes um, to that. I mean, what you said earlier, uh, Lee, about how civics, I mean, would be really interesting right now. <laughs> like it, I think it would be really hard, I think, to um, be brutally honest and, and, a civics class like that, the, the competition right now, um, you just wonder what, what they would say in DC in a lot of those, uh, <laughs> panel conversations. Like, I mean, if I'm, if I'm saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's really exciting that conservatives are finally waking up to what libertarians have been saying about the FBI. And, and I said that, you know, Montana should be trying to nullify the FBI as much as possible, <laughs> I, I don't think that they would they would like that very much. Um, you might get a few. I think you're muted. They they certainly wouldn't accept that very well. Yeah, <laughs> and I think unfortunately your uh, scores would would reflect that. But uh, you'd be absolutely right. You know, so back with the, the scores, just <laughs> tell them the truth. You know, you asked the question earlier, uh, whether you, th I think, whether these people are evil or did you say misguided? Yeah, I, I just wonder, like, often if if um, uh, the leaders, the worst of our leaders, are they just the technocratic, is it the technocratic mind expressing itself? Or are these people, do they have malicious intent? Because, I mean, I think the Christian answer is that we're all, we're all fallen in, um, it, it's sin, but is there an actual conscious awareness of the malicious intent on these actors or do they, are they just technocrats who think that if you, if you put humans into some equation on paper, you'll get the conclusion that you want. I, I, I just wonder if they're, if they are social engineers and they believe it'll work or if they're 
they want an evil end. So my answer to that is, yeah, both. You know, I, I don't think there's any question in my mind that, that Bill Gates knows. I mean, he's said, how many times has he said that the planet's overpopulated? We need population reduction. How many times has he said that? He's not, it's not like he's hiding it. Um, so is, does he think he's doing the planet a favor? Well, so if he does, he's stupid. Um, and I think there's some evil in there as well. I think there's, there's a superiority complex really among those technocrats that you talk about that we know the best way and the rest of you guys don't know anything. And so, you know, what's best for you is if we get rid of a few billion. And that's been, that number has been actually said out loud that they want to reduce the population by billions. That's not a conspiracy theory if they say it out loud. So uh, if, if you have a superiority complex and you think you know better than everybody else about how, how uh, the world should go, and then you implement that, I think that's also evil. So I think the answer is both. I think AOC is not very smart. Um, is she evil? Uh, I think so. Um, is Bernie Sanders evil? Well, is Joe Biden evil? There's no question. He is absolutely evil. Uh, a guy like Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, yeah, evil. She doesn't, I don't think she thinks more than anybody else that her way is the right way, but I think she has evil intent. You know, so those are just uh, me kind of giving you the straight story of what I think. I can't prove any of that, obviously, although I think it's pretty obvious that Joe Biden is uh, evil intent uh, for a long time. Just uh, self-aggrandizement, you know, and uh, profit motive. You know, who knows what Hillary Clinton's uh, deal is. Does she want power? I think so. And that in itself is evil. So anyway, my answer is, is both. Yeah. Well, I, I had a professor. Um, I'm not going to say which class, but the class was not at all related to what I'm about to say he said. Um, but he took a break one day and he said, um, I have hope in, in your generation because uh, climate change is um, it, it's a serious thing and our planet cannot sustain the current population. And he just said it like that, just quick, very quick thing. And I mean, I, I do think that a lot of these climate change policies might be motivated by uh, population concerns, um, whether it's all of them. I, I can't say that, but I think a few of them, especially when these policies will affect the third world disproportionately, um, I, you have to wonder. And I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, it's regardless of whether they believe it. I mean, we can say that the policies are evil and, and um, trying to achieve power at that scale, I think is evil in itself. So I, I think I agree with that. Well, I think we, we've been talking for quite a while. Um, do you guys have anything else to say or you think we hit it all? <laughs> well, we, we hit some of it. 
for sure. Yeah. I mean, I we could definitely go for, for hours, but do you have anything else on your mind right now? Or we should uh, definitely do this again, make it a segment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We should. At some point, not today, maybe some other time, but I think at some point, it, it would be helpful to talk to people about what can we do next, right? So, okay, so we've got these, we've got these things going on. We had this, co- we went through co- this COVID thing and people are starting to push back and, and now we've got this IRS thing going on. And, and so, you know, where, what power do the people have and what can we do moving forward? You know, how do we stop some of this craziness? I think that, that might be an interesting discussion. Yeah, I, I would love to do that. And I mean, I I mean, that's what I'm most interested in. I think the reason I, I always want to come up with these um, examples of interposition, I mean, I'm inclined to want to find areas where the state or a county can um, reject federal policy. But yeah, let's definitely schedule something for the future. And I'm really happy you guys came on and I'm going to try to edit this and get this up today. It's August 12th is the day that we recorded it um but yeah i'd love to have you back on look at jury nullification because we don't need to state it to interpose if we have 12 people that are willing to stand up and say the law is it's unlawful that person is not guilty right i mean that's our i think that's probably besides violence that's your last actual line because they can write whatever law they want, but if 12 people stand up and say that is unlawful, therefore they're guilty. I think, I think an interesting policy would, uh, would be legislation requiring um, all juries to be instructed on jury nullification in the uh, state. I think so too. I think and, that'd be genius. Yeah. And have it be clearly like maybe have like a standard um, presentation that's given to them on it that clearly like demonstrates the principle behind it too, that it's not just some weird technical. Yeah. You can just say no. Um, like, like if you actually said, well, if you disagree with the law, you, you can, you can say he's not guilty. Right. Yeah. Here's article one, section eight. Is it in here? Is it in article one, section eight? Okay. <laughs> not lawful. Move on. Right. Yeah. There was yeah. a, can I jump in quick? Uh, there was a judge at nationals one year from Utah and I didn't understand the question when he asked my kids. I don't think that was uh, your group. It might've been, but he said, uh, should a judge be able to seat a juror who doesn't believe that the law is just now he didn't ask it that way. He asked it in a, uh, in a way in which I had no idea what he's asking. I'm kind uh, of feel sorry for the kids because they tried, but they didn't have any idea. So uh, one of the other judges interpreted the question for him. And that they did pretty well, actually, uh, students. But um, that he, that's what he was asking. He was asking whether the juror could be disqualified if they believe in jury nullification. Right. Well, it's none of his business. <laughs> You know, that's not the judge's business. They should never even ask that question. And uh, that's up to the juror, period. Right. Now, and I don't even think you should have to disclose that. No, right? you shouldn't. And then if you say, well, I don't have to disclose that, you get dismissed. Right. 
Because they suspect you believe in jury nullification. I think that's the problem, right? And so and a simple instruction where they see here's here's the here's the premise and then make your decision. You're not just you're not just assigning guilt or innocence to the person, but also essentially to the law that's being litigated. Well, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I, th I think we could definitely do something like that in Montana. And I know uh, the foundation for actually, I don't know what the acronym is, but uh, FIJA, it's something to do with uh, jury, jury rights in Montana. Um, I, I think that that would be a really good organization to reach out to. And they, they have a bunch of literature on jury nullification, like um, uh, Lysander Spooner's um, trial jury. Um, and I, I took a class this last year on uh, constitutional law and uh, the most interesting part about it was um, that these critical theorists were making the argument for jury nullification from a critical legal perspective. So their their thing was, you know, um, African-American communities should be able to nullify because the system is against them. So if, if it's for race reasons, um, their community should be able to nullify uh, law. Um and, and of course, they had to put in a little line about um, this is not to say that we advocate for any other form of jury nullification or ones that might be identified with right wingers. But yeah. And and I mean, but it, it was interesting because they didn't elaborate what that would look like, because um, later they're like, well, I, I don't want to speak for other communities, but if other communities want to do that, then they should. And I'm like, well, why not everyone? Why? Why? We should just argue for jury nullification on principle. If if you disagree with the law, um, you should vote not guilty. Uh, so that was the most interesting part of that class. Um, most of it was, I mean, I took value from it. I don't want to say it was completely terrible, but uh, we were learning Marxist legal theory is what my professor said. So <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah, critical legal theory is disguised. It's it's called critical race theory or critical legal theory, and it's Marxist legal theory. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm house sitting, so I have to let these dogs out. They've been barking for a little. <laughs> I'm sure you heard it. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we're gonna have to do it again. I I really do mean we should make it a segment. Um, are you, do you have like a public profile or anything? Do you guys want to say where people can find you? Um, on social media if they want to ask questions i'm on facebook uh for my campaign uh, i almost never post there but i've got virtually no other presence i'm on me we but that's uh that's a platform that not very many people are really on yet so what about yeah, yeah i can give you my email if they want to email me Sounds good. Well, if, if you want to get in touch with either of them, um, just reach out to me and then I can get you in touch with um, John or Lee. But thank you for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank yep. you, sir. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.